0: It's hard to believe, but 2017 is already coming to a close. Hi, everyone. I'm Chris Katolka, host of the Friends of Israel Today. Now, I know that there are so many great ministries to give to, but as you're considering your year-end giving, would you remember the radio ministry of the Friends of Israel? Your donation keeps the Friends of Israel today on air, on your stations, allowing us to continue to teach biblical truth about Israel and the Messiah as we stand alongside our Jewish friends. Visit foiradio.org and there you'll find a donate link, or you can mail your gift to PO Box 914, Belmar, New Jersey, 08099. Also, let us know where you're listening when you contact us, and thank you for your prayers and continual support
1: of our radio ministry. Welcome to the Friends of Israel Today. I'm Steve Conover, and with me is our host and teacher, Chris Katolka. For 75 years, the Friends of Israel has produced our award-winning magazine, Israel, My Glory. If you're not a subscriber yet, we'd like to offer you a free one-year subscription. That's six free issues of Israel, My Glory. Israel, My Glory is a go-to resource for everything a Christian needs to know about Israel and the Jewish people. Contact us at foiradio.org to get your free one-year subscription to Israel, My Glory. This Christmas season, we're looking back on the lineage of Jesus in our
0: most recent issue of Israel My Glory called In the Line of the King. Our editor-in-chief, Lorna Simcox, wrote, We highlight the five women embedded in the otherwise male lineage of the Messiah. These women coped with difficulties and unusual circumstances, but God's grace touched them all. Today, we'll speak with one of the authors of this recent issue, Pastor Mark Johnson, who will share about a very famous woman in the line of Jesus from the Old Testament, Bathsheba, and how God used her to direct the lineage of Jesus. But first, the news. The Trump administration has put the Palestinian Authority on notice if they pursue prosecution against Israel at the International Criminal Court and they don't get serious about peace talks with Israel. The result is the closing of the Palestinian Liberation Organization's offices in Washington, D.C. Well, here's my take. The PLO offices should have been closed decades ago. The Palestinian Authority still engages in acts of terror in Israel today, and they praise their terrorists as martyrs. You know, we can discourage this culture of hate by closing the offices of the PLO in Washington, D.C., We're focusing in on our most recent issue of Israel, My Glory to kind of share a little bit about the the magazine, and then also we get a chance to hear from one of the writers. And, and one of those writers with me for our most recent issue is Pastor Mark Johnson, who is a contributor to Israel, My Glory, and also pastor of Independent Bible Church in Martinsburg, West Virginia. Uh, Mark, great to have you on the program. Thanks for being with
2: us. Thanks, Chris. Great to be here.
0: Mark, I'm going to start with this, and I'm also going to end with it as we wrap up our discussion here. But, you know, when we look at these different women here in the line of Jesus, what does it say about God that we have these women and their stories in the lineage of Jesus the Messiah? What do you think when you saw these names pop up uh, as five women in the line of the Messiah?
2: Well, first, God's not a chauvinist. He includes women as well as men. Uh, Jesus is the Savior of all mankind, Gentiles as well as Jews, uh, because um, these women were Gentiles um, who were brought into the line of Christ. And then all of them have some kind of scandal uh, Mm -hmm. associated with their name, so that it's like the Holy Spirit brings the skeletons out of the closet and puts them on display as a way of saying, God is a redeeming God. He's a gracious God. He Mm -hmm. loves to heal the hearts of the brokenhearted. He loves to, to um, change people's lives. And uh, I think even the genealogy of Jesus, with including these women, speaks to that.
0: I love that you said that God is not a chauvinist. And you know, t- we live in a, in a different culture now, but when, when the Bible was written, like you said, the idea of women being within the, the genealogy of the Messiah, or specifically these women, Gentile women, prostitutes, uh, people who've committed adultery, this aspect of women, uh, it changes the way that you see God. And I always like to say, our God is a counter-cultural God. Would you agree with me?
2: Amen. He is. He's He's uh, uh, not a far-off, uh, unapproachable God. He cares. And I think that the, uh, um, the, the, the redemption and the salvation of um, all the sinners listed in the genealogy, but especially these women who were intentionally included in an unusual way for that culture really speaks to God's grace and 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 his love for all people
0: Mark I would say that you received probably one of the most famous of the Old Testament women in this in 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 this issue The story of Bathsheba to enlighten, uh, to me, to enlighten our audience. What's the background on Bathsheba? Where where did she come from? Who is she? Um, And and can you enlighten us a little bit about that?
2: Well, Bathsheba is famous, uh, infamous in in one sense, but we have to realize that she was a a real woman in Israel, um, and she was. um, The Bible says the daughter of Eliam who was one of David's mighty men. David's most elite special forces um, uh, segment of his army was called the Mighty Men, and uh, Bathsheba was the daughter of Eliam, one of those mighty men. As she grew up, she was privileged to marry one of her father's colleagues, Uriah the Hittite, who was also a mighty soldier in David's most honored fighting force. Now. Although Uriah was usually referred to as the Hittite in Scripture, this foreigner evidently bonded with David and was likely a proselyte, uh, believing in David's God. And so um, Bathsheba first shows up as, as a wife, Of um, one of David's mighty men.
0: A lot of people, I think we often get the image that Jerusalem was this large city. It was big. Uh, Jerusalem during the days of David was a very small city. It was a city, but it was a small city, and you have a connection point there. David and Bathsheba had some type of connection, like you said, through Ilium, who would have known that there could have been some understanding of who each other was. We don't know that from the text, but it wasn't a large city where people could get lost. And here we have David interacting with Bathsheba, and this kickstarts Bathsheba's relationship with David. Could you share a little bit about that?
2: Well, the um, first reference to Bathsheba in the scripture is infamous, beautiful bathing, spotted by the gaze of David as he walked in the evening on the flat roof of his palace, and David was transfixed by this woman bathing. We, we don't know, we, we, there's no indication that Bathsheba knew she could be seen, or, or if she did, because David's roof would have been the highest in the small city, mm-hmm. um, she would have assumed that probably that David was off to war with the troops. And uh, so the, the Bible does not um, uh, condemn Bathsheba as silent on her culpability, but of course, what David did was um, um, strongly condemned by the Lord.
0: And this, as you say in your article, begins the roller coaster ride, if you will, of Bathsheba's life. Could, could you talk for a moment about some of those uh, high aspects of the roller coaster ride and the low aspects of the roller coaster ride that uh, Bathsheba's on as she uh, as she ends up with David, essentially?
2: Yes, so she's a wife, and then a widow, and then a wife again, but wife of the king, pregnant with his child. Um, uh, David refuses to uh, admit his sin publicly or confess for nine months. But uh, when Nathan the prophet confronts him um, about his sin and David finally repents, uh, um, Nathan says that the the child that's, that's going to be born will die. And so Bathsheba's firstborn little boy quickly became ill. And in spite of David's intercession and prayers for seven days, um, heart-wrenchingly, he, he dies. And um, there's hardly anything, I think, more difficult in life than the death of a child. Hmm. But Bathsheba experienced that. Um, later, um, it says that uh, David comforted her, and and God comforted them, and in his mercy, uh, she becomes pregnant again with, um, with a, a boy and, um, who will be Solomon. And um, uh, the prophet uh, gives him a nickname, Jedediah, beloved of the Lord, uh, God's prophecy that this, this next child will indeed be um, important. And he turns out to be the one who will carry on the royal line of David.
0: And it's just amazing to think you end your article with this phrase, what a God, that we have a God that doesn't work in the realm of the perfect person, but that he takes the mess of our lives, really, uh, and he transforms them into opportunities to glorify him. You know, that we have a God that actually reaches down uh, into our lives, and all of our lives are messy. We all deal with issues. Some might not be as extreme as David and Bathsheba, but that God is actually able to reach in and to say, you know what? I'm going to show the world uh, that I'm going to transform this, change this, redeem this person. Um, uh, this time, this situation, for not for their glory, not for David's fame, not for Bathsheba's fame, or even Solomon's fame, but really for the fame of his glory. Uh, would you say that's true, that God does work with the messes of our life?
2: Amen. So true. God is writing his grand story, and it's when we see how we fit into God's story that our lives can begin to make sense. I love Ephesians one twelve that says God works all things according to the counsel of his own will. But then in that same Ephesians 1, it tells us that the goal is to be to the praise of the glory of his grace. And God receives glory by displaying his grace, his undeserved kindness to us that deserve his punishment. So when we wonder how our checkered stories um, fit into God's grand story, Bathsheba would remind us that all things work together for good to those that love God, to those that are called according to his purpose. But it's, his purpose is indeed to display his grace. What a God that he would um, provide a Savior for sinners like us.
0: Amen. We've been speaking with Pastor Mark Johnson. He's the pastor of Independent Bible Church and a contributor to Israel My Glory. Mark, thank you so much for being with us today. I really appreciate it.
2: My privilege, thank you.
1: When we read the scriptures, sometimes there can be a disconnect between our modern world and the world of the Bible. It's easy to forget that the authors were virtually all Jewish and that we worship a Jewish Messiah. And remember, Christianity is deeply rooted in Judaism. To the early church, Christianity was not a different religion from Judaism. It was the fulfillment of all that was written in the Law and the Prophets. The DVD entitled Jewish
0: Roots of Christianity takes you to Jerusalem for eye-opening insights into the link between Judaism and Christianity. You can watch various interviews by Israeli Christians, including the Friends of Israel's very own Pastor Menno Kalischer, the son
1: of Holocaust survivor Zvi Kalisher. To order your copy of the DVD, Jewish Roots of Christianity, go to foiradio.org or call our listener line at 888-343-6940. Again... Visit foiradio.org to order your copy of Jewish Roots of Christianity or call us at 888-343-6940.
0: Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctified us with your commandments and commanded us to kindle the festival lights. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who gave us life and sustained us and enabled us to reach this season of joy. That prayer that you just heard is the prayer that is said at the beginning of of the Passover Seder. And I know, I know we're at the Christmas season, you're wondering why I'm talking about Passover. Well, this prayer is what is recited uh, at the lighting of the candles for the Passover Seder at the very beginning. And it's the lady of the house who lights the candles and says this prayer. And it's this prayer that kicks off the celebration of the Passover for everyone in the family. And think about this: it's only a woman that can kindle who can light. These festival candles. And rabbis have long taught that without the woman to bring the light, the story of redemption cannot begin. For several thousand years in certain cultures, women were property of men and considered second-class citizens. Like women in the ancient Greek world had only a handful of rights in comparison to the men of ancient Greece. Women in ancient Greece were unable to vote. They couldn't own land or inherit property. And in ancient Greece, a woman's place in the home and her purpose in life was simply to produce children. In ancient Rome, whether women were considered a full citizen or not, they weren't permitted to vote either or to hold public office. Women in Rome, like Greece, they they couldn't own property. They couldn't inherit goods. They couldn't sign contracts or work outside of the home or run a business. They couldn't defend themselves in court either. They really, women had no rights in the ancient Greco-Roman world. A woman was under the full authority of her husband. And and since he was considered the head of his family, uh, women really had no legal say in much of anything. So although women might have been given the title in Rome of full citizen, uh, they didn't have the rights of a full citizen. And let me tell you something. The reason why I'm talking about this, this is the one thing I love the most about the God that we serve. Uh, God has always been countercultural. He placed a value, a special value, on women long before any of these empires, the Greek Empire, the Roman Empire, were even a thought Listen to this. In Genesis 1, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Notice, male and female are created in the image of God, which means they have divine value in God's eyes. And the fact that he mentions both male and female together shows God gives them equal value. And I want you to think about the Bible you own and how countercultural it really is. The very idea that there is a book in the Old Testament with a woman's name on it is countercultural for its time. I know it's not, maybe not today in 2017, but when it was written, the idea of having a woman's name, Ruth, was countercultural. And think about it, Ruth wasn't even an Israelite. She came to believe in Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But in a day and age when women were second-class citizens, God said, let's name a book after Ruth. It's crazy because even hundreds of years after Ruth, women of Roman society were limited in their public role. And you know, as a result of that, Their names are far less frequently mentioned than men in Roman Roman history. Our God is countercultural. The rights of women in the Bible are much greater than they were in history until the 20th century. In the Bible, we see that unlike the Greco-Roman world, women actually had the right to buy, sell, and own property and make their own contracts. These are the rights which women in countries like the U.S. and U.K. didn't have till about 100 years ago. In fact, Proverbs 31, 10 through 31, which is a passage that is read at Jewish weddings actually, speaks repeatedly about women being business savvy as a trait to be prized. The Proverbs 31 woman rises early in the morning. She works with her hands, she trades goods, she deals in textiles and sells them. She's savvy with real estate knowing what land to buy that will have the best value and produce the best fruit. Her ability to work doesn't conflict with her responsibilities as a wife or mother. Proverbs 31 says that this woman is valued by her husband, and the husband is popular with the people of the city because of her. She provides food for her household, which means she's feeding not only her husband, but her children as well. And my favorite, after all All of her know-how and strength is already shown in her abilities in Proverbs 31. It says this, she opens her hand to the poor and reaches out to the needy. She gives of herself in every way, even to those who are less fortunate. Does this woman sound like a second-class citizen? Does this sound like a woman who has no rights, no say, no freedom? That's because our God is a countercultural god. Even before the women's rights movement, women were given a seat at the table and were valued as a part of God's plan. Think about it. There would be no Isaac in the Bible without Sarah. There's no Jacob without Rebekah. There's no tribes of Israel without Rachel, Leah, Bilhah or Zilpah. There's no Moses or Passover story without the bravery of Shifra and Puah the midwives who stood up against Pharaoh's demand to kill all the Hebrew sons. There's no Barak without Deborah. Uh, There's no walls of Jericho falling down without Rahab. And there's no Messiah Jesus without Mary. Our most recent issue of Israel My Glory isn't only about the five women in the line of the Messiah. It's about how God used men and women equally to carry out his sovereign plan. I want to end this segment reading from Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. It's a song from Mary after her cousin Elizabeth called her blessed. It's called the Magnificat. And Mary realizes the vital role she plays in mothering the Messiah and praises God for showing her favor. Listen to this. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. My friends, Mary, a Jewish woman, was used by God To bring light into this dark world. And I think that's why that Passover uh, prayer is so important. Because remember, it was a woman that could only kindle the festival lights. It was only a woman that could bring the light of the Passover into existence. And it's only a woman who could bring light into this dark world.
1: Chris, as we close, do you have
0: any thoughts before we go? Yeah, I just want to say thanks to Mark Johnson uh, for joining us on the program to share about Bathsheba. And I just want to say this. uh, The story of Bathsheba is a reminder to me, and and I hope for you, that God can
1: redeem our failures for his glory. Thank you, Chris. To order the DVD, Jewish Roots of Christianity, or to get your free subscription to Israel My Glory magazine, visit foiradio.org. That's foiradio.org, or contact our listener line at 888-343-6940. Again, that's 888-343-6940. Our host and teacher is Chris Katolka. Today's program was produced by Tom Galeone, co-written by Sarah Fern. Mike Kellogg read Apples of Gold. Our theme music was composed and performed by Jeremy Strong. I'm Steve Conover, executive producer. The Friends of Israel Today is a production of the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. We are a worldwide Christian ministry communicating biblical truth about Israel and the Messiah, while fostering solidarity with the Jewish people.